You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. The Detroit Symphony Orchestra is the fourth oldest orchestra in the United States. The orchestra has found renewed success in life in recent years under longtime maestro Leonard Slatkin. But like the city of Detroit, it hasn't always been easy for the acclaimed orchestra. A new book published this week looks at the history of the DSO, and I'm joined now by the author of that book, Lori Lanzen-Harris. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. I'm a huge fan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, and uh, the title of the book is The Detroit Symphony Orchestra, Grace, Grit, and Glory, a wonderful title that I think sort of capsulizes uh, really accurately the, 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 the long and sort of up and down history of this, this institution. Uh, right. When I say it has not always been easy, that's sort of an understatement, really. I mean, this right. is an institution that we have almost lost several times uh, right. throughout its history. That's right. The DSO has gone out of business three times, yeah. more than any other major orchestra. But it, <laughs> it has always come comes back, back. It's like times. Rasputin. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. So talk about, uh, I, I'm interested in what got you interested in this book, this, uh, this sort of cataloging of uh, the things that have, that have gone right and the things that have gone wrong right. with, with our orchestra. Right, right. Well, I started the book in early 2014, right after Detroit had declared bankruptcy. Uh-huh. So from the very beginning, the idea was, it's, it's published by Wayne State University Press, the idea was to take a look at the city of Detroit and its ups and downs as well as the symphonies because their fates are so closely interrelated. So I began the narrative in the middle of the 19th century as Detroit was growing as a huge industrial force and that was the very first, that was also the birth of the very first DSO. Mm -hmm. The very first DSO came into business in 1887 and lasted until 1910, then went out of business, then came back in 1914. So the idea was to say what was happening with Detroit at the same time that this was happening. What was the musical scene like? What What brought classical music? What else was going on? And what was amazing to me was that in the 1880s, there were several opera companies that were coming through on a regular basis. But there was also vaudeville and music in the beer gardens and music on Belle Isle and military bands and all of that. And it was wonderful to try to capture all of the musical scene in Detroit as it was growing as an industrial force. Yeah. Uh, and and does the symphony grow for the same reason that the the, the city grows? Uh, yes. The, 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 the wealth and uh, uh, productivity and, and all of the things that, that were outgrowth of the growth of the auto industry. Well, exactly, and especially when it came back in 1914, and it came back due to the huge investment of several major people, almost all of them involved in the automotive industry, because that was the probably the the zenith of the of the automotive industry in terms of the money that was being made, and so they built this wonderful orchestra. They brought in Osip Gabrilovich, and he had a tremendous effect on making that orchestra a truly outstanding ensemble and also demanded that Orchestra Hall be built. So all of that, I mean, all of that is (laughs) happening within that time and then the the depression hits. And then the crash. And then you see Detroit, and I, I, I was startled myself at the statistics, but 
Detroit went from making 5.3 million cars in 1929 to 1.3 two years later. Wow. One third of the people at Ford lost their jobs. And it just it's just amazing to take a look at that. And so you have this crash that affects the DSO in Detroit at the same time. And then it it ebbs and flows throughout. Whether you're talking about the recession of 1973 or the crash of 2008, the same thing is happening. Detroit is the hardest hit. It has the highest unemployment. It has the worst. The recession hits here hardest. So it was, yes, you, you see the economic... And and the and its effect on the oldest cultural on the, institution. On the institution, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Laurie Lanzen Harris. She's the author of the Detroit Symphony Orchestra: Grace, Grit, and Glory: A Look at the History of This Really Important Institution, Cultural Institution Here in the City of Detroit. Uh, you want to give us a call, join the conversation, talk about your memories of the symphony, your feelings about how important it is uh, to the the city of Detroit, lots of places are losing institutions like their symphonies or opera companies. Uh, we are hanging on to ours here in the city of Detroit. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number uh, to join that conversation. 313-577-1019. Uh, one of the things that that I think uh, is, is sort of the one of the greatest attributes of our symphony is uh, the, the people who have been associated with it over right. the years the con- just 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 the conductors I right know, uh, I, I mean it, this is like a hall of fame list it's uh, true uh, and and it's it, it just continues i mean slack and we've had now for uh, for some time but if you go back uh, there are other huge names like that who uh, were for a long time here in detroit which uh, I, I'm not sure people would would necessarily assume, given given the sort of gritty industrial exactly. uh, reputation that the city has. Exactly. One I would like to mention is Paul Perret, who uh-huh. was here in the 1950s, and he was a very important. He really did bring the DSO back to its second golden age after Gabrilovich, yeah. and he was an incredible conductor. And on top of that, he signed a. Um, with the Mercury label, and they produced 70 recordings, and these recordings are considered some of the finest recordings of these yes. individual pieces. Yeah. And he recorded one of them in Orchestra Hall with a single mic, and the rest of them were recorded at Cass Tech. Who knew that the acoustics that. at really? in the auditorium at Old Cass Tech were so wonderful? Mercury moved all of their equipment in there and <laughs> recorded these. And these all came out again on CD in the 1990s. So your audience could can go to their you public libraries find and find them and listen to them. And you hear, it was known as the greatest French orchestra in the world, <laughs> and you can hear what that means. It is speed and elegance and sure. alacrity. It's just, it's just an amazing thing to yeah. listen to that record. Yeah. Uh, uh, when I was uh, a teenager, uh, the person who was uh, leading the or- orchestra was uh, Gunther uh, Erbeg, yeah. who is yet another uh, oh, huge name. And, and, you know, as a teenager, you know, I mean, I was a little unusual in, in the sense that I was interested in classical music, but I can remember how much I learned from the fact that uh, that he was the conductor and the things that he was doing yes. with the orchestra at that time. Yes, he was. He was so important, and the orchestra just sounded wonderful under him. Also, before him, um, it, it um, 
Antel Dorati. Yeah, Dorati. Came right, and he sure. was, and he started the wonderful series of single composer uh, forums, and people came from all over the world on whether it was Brahms or it was Beethoven, and there was a huge billboard that was up on, on over the freeways until Dorati comes to Detroit. <laughs> and uh, the night that he opened the first Beethoven festival, there were people standing in line and scalping wow. tickets in front of Ford <laughs> like Auditorium. Like a rock concert, right? Right. And, and the New York Times wrote, well, you know, right down the street, you've got the Pistons, but the people are scalping tickets in front of Ford Auditorium. <laughs> That's right. Going to see the symphony. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, uh, let's talk some about the, the sort of modern Symphony, it has changed a lot it in has. the last decade uh, because it has to. Uh, and there was some tension over those changes between right. the musicians and, and, and management. But the, the symphony does seem, again, like it's in this really uh, sort of special space right. where it's it's doing amazing things yes. uh, and, and getting the recognition for it. Right, that. exactly. It is smaller. It's a smaller ensemble. The uh, season is is shorter it's than shorter, it was. Yeah. But they have inaugurated special ideas such as the neighborhood series where they're going out into the neighborhoods and playing for them to try to bring them downtown so they could hear what it sounds like in orchestra hall, but yeah. also just to be introduced to that music. I, I mean, I feel like there there's a lot more opportunity uh, to, to see the symphony or, right. or pieces of it uh, around town. And I know how controversial that was when that was introduced with, with some of the musicians. Right. But I think the payoff has been been pretty substantial. I know, I know that there are there are people, you know, there have been a number of of conductors who really wanted to be part of an outreach. When Gabrielovich was here, he brought in a wonderful woman named Edith Retz Tilton who wound up making the music curriculums from which we all benefited for music in the public schools right. back from the from the 30s to the 70s. But he said to her, there's a lot of people in Detroit who have never heard of us. <laughs> we need a marriage between our orchestra and our city. Yes. Will you come and help? And she did. And there have been other conductors as well who have said, I want to go out into the community. I want to play on Belle Isle. Yeah. I want to play at the fairgrounds. Remember when right. we used to play at the I fairgrounds? Do that. And sure. it was and that was the introduction of many young people and their parents too yeah. to hearing the DSO in these non-traditional places. Yeah. Uh, do you do you have current worries about the the viability of the DSO or other uh, cultural institutions. The opera company here is also always sort of persevering through. Well, I, tough I, times. I think it. We, I think we are in a good time, and it has yeah. a lot to do with the fact that Detroit is in its own renaissance of sure. sorts, and it's bringing investment. It's bringing people who are here from all over the country and all over the world, and they're interested in what what are the cultural benefits of living in Detroit. Right. And one of them, you know, right down here, you've got the DIA and you've got the DSO and and the opera theaters down down the street a little bit. But still, these are things that bring people to Detroit. Yeah. So I think it's I think it is clearly on the upswing. Yeah. Well that's good news and uh, we'll hope that it continues. <laughs> Lori Lanzen Harris, author of the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, Grace, Grit and Glory. Thanks for being here on Detroit today. Absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. Uh, don't forget to help us out with the WDET unfundraiser. It'll end when we hit $281,000. Go to WDET.org, renew your support, or donate for the first time. This is 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. We'll see you tomorrow.